The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read the whole thing. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have from us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to make it like his own glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And now, 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So, Lord, we, we love to gather. We love to sing. I need the reminder week by week that Jesus is better. I need to hear your people singing it and believing it with me. And, Lord, we need to come together and, and look at your word. And what we're praying in all of that is that your spirit would be here among us to shape us and transform us and reorient our hearts week by week, day by day, that you might work for the good of your people and the glory of your name. So we're asking you to do that again, and we're praying it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just give a a quick word of introduction uh, about this series we're moving into. It's kind of meant to be a series to remind us about what what the church is and what it's called to as we move towards a vote on autonomy and becoming uh, our own local church. It would be good to know what, what is a church, who are we, and what are we called to do. And this is meant to work in tandem with a class that we're doing, which is Church Essentials, which will meet on Wednesday nights in a big group and then on Sunday mornings. And these are meant to be a tandem in this way. Sunday mornings, we're going to look at these high levels. Who are we? And, and what are we called to? And then we're going to get a little bit more granular and detailed on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays and say, so what, what is this thing called the church? Why, why would you ever want to be a part of it? And if you're a part of it, what, what does Jesus have for you in it? And what, is it, what does it mean to engage here at the South Campus as part of this church? So Please uh, hang out with us this fall as we're doing the sermon series and then Wednesdays and Sundays in that tandem class which Pastor Daniel will be teaching a lot of. And so we're launching into this series called Citizens and Sojourners and, and there's two reasons that we're doing this on Sunday morning. The first reason is I want us, like we kind of did the last two weeks with our individual identity, to remember together our primary identity as citizens of heaven. Uh, This local church expression of that with all of its privileges and all of its callings and all of its uh, desires above any other identity, above any other allegiance, and to see everything in our life through the lens of Christ. It's reason number one. It's who we are. (laughs) We've got to see who we are. And reason number two is I think increasingly as a people we will need to get comfortable with being sojourners in this world that we live in. A sojourner is someone that's not living in their home country. It's not living in their their hometown. And what we need to see is that if we're citizens of heaven, this place we are right now is not 
our ultimate home. And if we're looking to and following Jesus, we will seem very strange to the world. And I just want us to begin to get comfortable being very strange, being very different. Not glorifying that, not needing to be that, but just knowing we're going to be that as we follow Jesus. What your soul and what my soul needs more than anything in this world of polarization and anxiety and instant gratification and anger is Jesus Christ. So what your soul needs, so what my soul needs. And what this world needs, what the whole world needs, whether we're in America or overseas, what the world needs is a church whose souls are at rest in Jesus Christ in the midst of polarization, anxiety, instant gratification, and anger. What the world needs most is Jesus Christ. And that hasn't changed. And the church is called to stand in and shine the beauty of Christ. So I want you to hear chapter 4, verse 1 as Paul's kind of final admonition coming out of all of chapter 3. It's a therefore. So here's what he says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What we want most, when I say we, I'm talking about the elders, (laughs) What we want most for you, if you're here sitting in this church, if you're one of the members of this church, what we want most for all of you is to stand firm in the Lord in the way the Word calls you to stand firm. Now, there's a lot of ways to think we're standing firm and be doing something else. What we want for you is to stand firm in the Lord, and the reason we want that is because we love you. Because you're our, our joy and our crown. We, we want to make it to Jesus together. We want to make a difference for Jesus as we make it to Jesus together. We want you to believe, I want you to believe there are no spectators in the family of Jesus. What, what a trick and a win it would be for Satan and for the devil if you were all convinced that, that this is what it's all about. How pathetic would that be? How sad would that be if it was all about me up here preaching? I want you to believe there are no spectators in the family of God. There are no spectators in the the household of faith. I want you to believe that rather than living in constant frustration and irritation and hopelessness in this moment we live in, I want you to believe that if you're here in the providence of God, in the blood-bought family of God, that you were made for this moment. For the glory of God, and for the good of the world. Right? There have been many dark times throughout history, and the church of Christ has always shined the light of Christ into the darkest places. I want you to believe that it's your calling, not someone else's calling, not the pastor's calling, not the elder's calling, not the staff's calling. I want you to believe it's your calling to love God with all your heart. Make him supreme in your heart, in every place, in every way that that he reigns in your heart because he's worthy of it. It just increases your love day by day for him. That's your calling. That it's your calling to love your neighbors as yourself. That, That God has you in your neighborhood with those people around you to actually love them. Actually see them as made in the image of God and worthy of your time and energy as eternal beings. And to seek to not just know God, 
Love God, know your neighbors, love your neighbors, but to pray and to seek making disciples that love God and love their neighbors. To, to multiply yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that Jesus will help us to love and live this identity and calling as citizens of heaven. In other words, I'm praying that by the end of this series, you wouldn't just be reminded of some good things. Like, oh, that was, that was a good reminder. Glad that we spent a, few ti- a little bit of time on that. My, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would work in such a way that your life, your heart, your mind, your time, your energy, your resources, your, your whole being would be oriented around King Jesus and eager to see others' whole beings oriented around King Jesus. So how do we stand? And then how do we shine? Let's, let's dive in here to like Pastor David said, this, this is a really great chapter. So point number one is the prize of our life together. Now if I were going to ask you this question, in our day and age, where we are as a, as, a, as a country, as a church, as a culture, what is the strength of the church? In other words, what, what does the, the church need to, to fight for more than anything else? Right? And you, could, you could list a bunch of issues that people are saying are most important for the church. But if I were to say, what is the strength of the church? How will the church stand in the midst of the world we live in? What would you say? My answer from Philippians 3 would be to fight to rejoice in the Lord above all things. Right? The, the psalmist say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. To keep the person and work of Jesus Christ as the most precious thing in your mind and heart. And in a world full of distractions and busyness, that's a tall task. Just, just keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep looking to Him as the joy, as the highest treasure of our, our hearts. But I'm convinced that's the strength. That's how the church will stand from Philippians 3. Listen to how Paul says it in verses 1 to 3. He's saying this to a church under persecution and pressure to conform to things outside of the gospel. And he says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is protecting this church against a group of people that were saying, you needed to be circumcised to be saved in accordance with the law. And it would have been tempting for some newer Christians, think about this, this isn't the day and age we live in, Jesus is kind of brand new on the scene. The church is kind of brand new on the scene. Salvation hangs in the balance. The church knows this. And here come these teachers. They seem mature. They seem helpful. They seem like they know a lot of things. They come and say, here's how you need to be saved. Now imagine how tempting it would have been for the church to to just go there. Okay. They've got some extra information we didn't have. And how does Paul guard against this false doctrine, this kind of, this false way of thinking? Well, you might say, you know, have an apologetic debate. (laughs) Who is more true? Who knows more? And yet, what Paul says is, rejoice in Jesus. 
Worship by the Spirit. Put no confidence in the flesh. Glory in Jesus. And I think the logic is if you're rejoicing in the beauty of Jesus, the Son of God who came and and lived the perfect life, you know you couldn't live. And He died the death. You know you deserve to die. And He rose again to conquer death and bring you to Himself and fill you with His Spirit. If you know Him, if you're rejoicing in Him, it will protect you from adding some task as the mark of true believers. I'm just going to say, it. it's all Jesus. It's all Him. I rejoice in Him because it's all Him. There's nothing I could add. There's nothing I could do. How silly would it be? So Paul's guard against this false doctrine is, just keep rejoicing in Jesus. Keep remembering Jesus. Your humble joy as a sinner saved by the grace of God and the person and finished work of Jesus will keep you safe from other identities and other ideas. I think this is really relevant in the day and age we live in. Here's, here's what I mean. This is a good moment to say that in the day of polarization, there are a lot of voices out there adding to the gospel. Saying you need to be a certain thing, right? Voices telling you that true believers have some task they've accomplished, right? some cause they've taken up, some issue they've shouted loudly about that makes them truer believers. They might not quite say, you're not, you can't be a believer if you don't do this. They might just say, you're kind of a, a level one believer, right? Versus a level three believer, right? They won't quite say that's what it takes to accomplish salvation, but they'll certainly encourage us to unite with those who agree and divide from those who don't. And Paul would call us to rejoice in Jesus together. Now, here's what I'd say, right? It's okay to talk about third-tier issues and have opinions and look at the Bible and debate and do all this. I'm not saying that's bad. It's okay to talk about it. It's not okay to divide over it. And I don't know if I've ever said it, but I was just feeling this week so strongly. When we divide over things the Bible would not have us divide over, it's not just wrong or unwise, it's sinful. Right? It's, it's dishonoring to the name of Jesus when the church just does exactly what the, the world is doing. It's, it's sinful. It's okay to care about these things. We should care. Christians should have a, a bigger anthropology, right? And a, a bigger and better and more informed sociology. You should have way more to think about and say than like the whole world. But it's not okay when those issues become idols. So when someone disagrees with you, now they're the enemy, not your brother or sister in Christ. In fact, what Paul is going to make very clear is that the church, the heartbeat of the church, is going to be what they prize both individually and together. That's what this chapter says. Here's the heartbeat of the church. Here's how you stand firm. Here's how you keep walking toward Jesus together. You choose a prize, and you run at it with all your hearts together. One prize, not 75 prizes, one prize, and you run at it together. That's what's going to come in the rest of this section. And the question is, what's the prize? And for Paul, the what is a who, and his name is Jesus. So, So why does that matter practically? And I think it matters because what you prize will determine everything else you do. It just will. That's how, that's how it works to be human. What you prize will determine 
everything else you do, what, what you orient your life around, how you spend your time and money, what you think about, what you read, right? It will determine everything else. In blood-bought family, I want everything in this place to be determined by the prize of Jesus Christ and nothing else. I'm happy to talk about anything else, but it can't be determined by anything but Jesus Christ. Any other worldly or religious goals more than knowing Jesus and making him known are fool's gold. Meaning, they look good. They look like the real thing. We can't even trick ourselves into thinking they are the real thing. But if it's not Jesus, it's not the real thing. And you'll lose it all if you lose Jesus as the first priority. Listen to how Paul says it in verses 4 to 6. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul right here is saying to the church in Philippi, you know those people that are talking to you, those people showing up to pressure you into making these extra tasks, the mark of if you're a true believer or not, I'm better. I've done more. Let's hold our resumes up next to each other. Let's see who really wins. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day, right according to the law, and I'm a true Jew. I'm from a prominent tribe. I had the best teacher in all of Israel. Not only did I have the best teacher, but I actually kept the law better than anyone else. I'm blameless under the law, right? And these weren't just facts I kept in my head. I was so zealous about the law that I went out and I persecuted the church. I was the best. (laughs) No one can hold a candle to my resume. Paul saying, I had all the power, all the prestige, and all the privilege, and I am head and shoulders above these fools showing up to try to tell you to add something to the gospel. And then he says next, And it was totally empty. It was totally worthless. Look at verse 7. Whatever gain I had, and the whatever gain there, he had a lot. (laughs) Paul had a lot. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So here's what I mean about getting off track. How easy it would be in this particular age we live in obsessed with good marketing and clickbait and humble bragging, right, to list off the programs we offer, right, to list off the the churches we plant, the, the social or political views we take, the global missions we support, the sermons we preach, and the knowledge we have, and totally miss Jesus. You can do that. Totally miss Jesus. Paul had everything, right? Who wouldn't have gone with Paul to a church plant, right? Who wouldn't have gone to his seminars and read his books and done all his things, right? Everyone would have, right? He had the resume above every resume. And Paul says all the achievements, all the accolades, all the acclaim, nothing. Empty. Something changes in the heart of a citizen of heaven that suddenly all of that is lost compared to Jesus. Let's update it to today, right? Your job success, do you really believe it's lost compared to Jesus? Like, like really believe that. You have lots of money, 
Loss compared to Jesus. Fame and power, prestige, loss compared to Jesus. Popularity in school with your friends and your sports teams, loss compared to Jesus. Accomplishments we could list on our website, loss compared to Jesus. And not only are those things that are so great and we'd consider gain, loss compared to Jesus, Paul goes further than just the achievements and the accolades and the acclaim. He goes to everything next. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything, not just the gains, but everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So it's not just the gains he counts as loss, but he considers everything loss compared to knowing Jesus. And it's not just in his head. This isn't just something he knows, but he could point and say, like, I've lost everything. <laughs> like, shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned. I've, I've lost it all. No one's coming to my seminars anymore. No one's reading my books. No one wants to be around me because everywhere I am, I'm getting beat up. I've lost everything. Why? Because Christ is the prize. He, he, he's my everything. Is Jesus really the thing we feel like we most can't live without in your life? Is, is Jesus, are you like, man, he's the one thing I can't live without? He, him, it's got to be him. What about, what about health? And what about your job? What about your children? What about your children? Sure. Just add in, add in, my next one was family. What about your family? What about your hobbies? Right, what about money? Right, now listen, none of those things, none of those things are bad. All of them are good, right? right? Jobs are good. You should work hard at your job to the glory of God. Families are good. Hobbies are good. Health is good. All of it's good. But when it takes first place over Jesus, it's misplaced in a way that you lose all of it. But when you see Jesus as the prize, it begins to change everything. Look at verses 9 to 11. Paul says, What I want most is to be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from a list of things I did, a list of things I accomplished, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him. The power of His resurrection, share in His sufferings, become like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, what do you want most? What do you want most? What's life about most? And he would say, I want Jesus most. Give me His righteousness by faith above and beyond all the other righteous, moral causes I can take up. I just want to be found in Jesus. I want to be in Him and safe in Him and secure in Him and with Him. I want to know Him. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know Him more? Day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, do you want to know your King, your Savior, the Lord of the whole universe? I want to know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection. That means resurrection power working in you right now to overcome sin, to walk more faithfully with Him. I want to know His power. I want to share 
in his sufferings. We want to become like him in his death, right? We talked about that the last two weeks. Dying with Christ. Living the new life. Why? Why all those things? That, so that, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Why does he want to be raised from the dead? Because that's where Jesus is. That's where eternal fellowship with Jesus is. Kids, what I want most for you is for you to want Jesus most. Whether you're two or, I don't know, how old are kids? Are you offended if I say 13? Is that too old for kids? Two to 12, right? Just do our family. (laughs) Stay safe. What I want most for you is for you to want Jesus most. To want Him more than you love sports or like your activities or your friends or your popularity or whatever else. I want you to want Jesus most. And Paul wasn't just writing this for himself, right? He's writing this to the church to stir up the church to make Jesus the prize with him. And that's the call of the church. Jesus must be the prize of our life together. Knowing Him, being with Him must be the goal. Not something, listen, knowing Him and being with Him cannot be something we use to accomplish some other goal. It is the end. It's not a means to an end. Knowing Jesus, being with Jesus is the end. Standing as citizens of heaven and being faithful in our calling is primarily accomplished through prizing Jesus together. Point number two, the pressing on of our life together. So if you've ever been, right, on an athletic team, or you've been in a musical ensemble, or worked on a sales team at your job, or any other situation, we're part of a co-op board, right, any other situation like that, you know that what you're aiming for, what your prize is, leads to changes in what you do and how you do it. Right? It just changes everything. It changes every conversation. So right in college, I really liked winning basketball games. Right? And it, that affected my life a lot. Right? Conference championships, those were the prize. That's what I was aiming for. And because of that, starting in April every year, I would organize open gyms. I would organize workouts where we worked on our skills. I'd organize weightlifting sessions and team get-togethers for team chemistry. And I was looking to the prize I wanted to see us get the following March. Right, so I'm looking out a year ahead and saying, that's what I want. <laughs> that's what I want. So, so it changed much of what I did and what other people did as I kind of drew them into it. And kids, when you really like something, right, you start to talk about it a lot. There's a few of you kids that have been around that love talking about science, and you will talk about science until you, you are blue in the face. There's some of you that will talk about the Packers or the Vikings. Hopefully you'll talk to each other after this afternoon. About, right, until you're blue in the face, right? When you love something, right, you talk about it, you start to think about it, and you start to give it more time. And Paul is saying that Jesus is that prize that we press into. He's that thing that suddenly is the focal point of our attention. So here's what he says. Look at verse 12 with me and read with me. He says, Not that I've already already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Jesus is the prize. He's, he's made us his own. And so what can we do with our lives except just press on more to him? Like, is it, isn't that just a summary of the Christian life? Not there yet. <laughs> and I'm not perfect. But man, do I want more of Jesus. Man, I, I'm still not where I want to be here. And I know I'm probably not going to get there in this life. But man, what can I do but press into more of Jesus? Or where else can we go? He has the words of eternal life. So we just keep going back to him, right? He's made us his own, so we press on for more of him. And I hope in these verses you hear freedom found in this pressing on, right? You leave past failures and past achievements behind you. They don't define who you are or what really matters about you anymore, and you simply strain forward towards the prize of being with Jesus forever. How would your outlook change if you just got up every morning and said, I'm not defined by my past failures. I am not defined by my past shame. I'm not defined by my past success. I'm not defined by my past honor, by my past experience. I'm looking to Jesus and running toward him with full confidence that he has made me his own. That's what defines me. That's my prize. That's what I see everything else through the lens of. Like, what would change in your home? Right? What would change in your workplace? Or in your community? Or in your extended family? Or when you're parenting? Or your marriage? Or your singleness? Or with your neighbors? What would change if just nothing behind? Not success, failure, shame, achievements. But today, what I'm after is just Jesus has made me his own and I just want more of him today. I want to give more of him to everyone that I encounter. Paul says that once we see Jesus as the prize, we give our whole lives together to press on towards him. This really matters because so many of us are pressing towards things without Jesus in the first place. And have you ever noticed that you can read a marriage or a parenting book and do all the new changes and all the new lists and keep being lousy in the same ways that parenting and marriage. Has that ever happened to you? Right? How many, how many books do you have? <laughs> right? Maybe this one. This is the, the key. Or that you can change some habits for a while, but then you lose some steam and eventually you just feel worn out by whatever the habits were that you changed. Or that you can run after some other career or family or political idea or goal and just find yourself waking up when it is frustrated and weary. And again, here, here's the thing. None of those things are bad. I think parenting is good. I think singleness is good. I think marriage is worth it. I think careers are good. I think family goals are essential. I think political causes are good and fine in the right place. But when they become normally by accident the prize we're pressing on towards, it leaves us empty. And it leaves us broken. It leaves us wondering what happened, right? Because 
these things, they can't change us and they, they can't sustain us and they can't fill us with a kind of unshakable joy. You see, too often we view Jesus through our singleness or we view Jesus through our families or through our career or through our marriage or through our politics. We view Jesus through those things, right? Our lens is those things and there's Jesus over there. We're trying to see him and, hey, could you talk to me about this thing that's really most important to me? When what's supposed to be happening is here's Jesus. Here he is. Here's the prize. Here's, here's all we have, all we need. And we view all those other things through that lens. Let's make this lesson corporate, not just individual. If we have the most classes, if we become the fastest growing church in America, if we support the most missionaries, if we have the best theology, if we know the most about caring for each other, but press on with those things as the goal rather than Jesus as the goal, we will grow proud, weary, and eventually it will all fall apart. (laughs) Right? It will all fall apart. You see, Jesus is not only a means to an end. He's the end. And Jesus is not only the goal, but he's the fuel. (laughs) We prize Jesus as the goal, as the end, and that prizing of him is the fuel that sustains us in our suffering. Prizing of him as the goal is the thing that helps us in our fight against sin. It's the thing that drives us to love and forgive each other in this family. It's the thing that makes us walk across the lawn to love our neighbors. It's the thing that's going to help us make disciples in these south suburbs and all the way to the nations. Jesus is the thing that makes everything else make sense and fuels everything else that we do if it's going to last. And notice that we're meant to do this together as a people who know that their primary citizenship is in heaven and that we worship and bow to King Jesus alone. Look at verses 17 to 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here, community there. Here, pressing on together. For many of whom I have often told you and now well and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself So Paul is saying the way we do this is we walk together with our eyes on Jesus and our eyes on those around us who are also walking towards Jesus. We set our minds together on Jesus. We wait together for Jesus, our Savior and our King, in the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of all the brokenness, confusion, ugliness of the world, knowing He's going to return and it's going to be worth it. That's what we know. Knowing He's going to return and make the weight worth it. We let Jesus be our prize and what fills us up, not the passing sinful indulgences or claim of the world. And it's hard for us to see it or feel it, but when Paul says the Lord Jesus Christ here, he's making a political statement to the people in Philippi. Right? It was a proud thing to be a Roman colony like Philippi. It came with loads of prestige and prominence and pressure to be first and foremost a citizen of Rome whose chief concern was earthly. It led to a people that prized comfort 
and indulgences and privileges and rights, a certain way of life and calling and identity as Roman above all. So when Paul says to them, you're a citizen of heaven and Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, what he's saying is stop serving other things. Stop serving other things. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. He's the prize. You must prize his eternal comfort over earthly comfort. Church, that's what he's saying. You must prize his eternal privileges over earthly privileges. You must prize the way of the cross over the way of comfort. You must prize identity as citizens of his kingdom and calling above all else, lest you slowly and sadly walk away from Jesus towards other things that seem good and right, but are fool's gold. Right? We talked the last couple weeks about some of the obvious things we don't want to give ourselves to. But much more insidious in the church of Christ, in the church in our day, is running after good things like they're more important than Jesus. Is doing lots of good things and putting them in front of Jesus. If Jesus is the Savior and King, then all of life must be oriented around our identity and calling as those saved by His grace and bowing before His throne. And if He is, and if He's the fuel of all we do, we will be strange. (laughs) We will be strange people. We'll be sojourners as citizens of heaven that are sojourning in this world. So this look really quick with me here. Just a really quick application from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. What will it look like to, to shine as sojourners? In other words, what will the prizing of Jesus, Him being the, the goal and the fuel of all that we do in our life together, how does that work its way out? in this time that we live in. Listen to verses 9 to 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this text, like Philippians 3, has that return of Christ in view and it's saying how then do we live in light of who we are and who Jesus is So notice two ways that we shine as sojourners. Proclamation and purity. First of all, we shine as we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. (laughs) This is just us saying he's the prize to the world. Look at who he is. (laughs) Look at what he's done for you, world. We are a chosen race in Christ, a royal priesthood in Christ, a holy nation in Christ, a people of his own possession because of Christ. We didn't used to be that, but we are because He's merciful, right? He's merciful, and if we've received this mercy, how can we not say to the world, would you see Him? Would you love Him? Would you trust Him? He has saved me. He's the prize. Everything else is lost. Receive His mercy. Join His family. Bow your life before Him. Let Him make everything else make sense, and then 
by grace as we speak about Him as the prize and He's transforming us, we can show Him as the prize. That's what it says here. We shine as we prize Jesus and we let Him change us from the inside out and fight sin. We shine as Jesus purifies us by the Spirit to abstain from the rage, the insults, the broken sexuality, the bitterness, the gossip, the power plays, the selfishness, the instant gratification, and the greed of this world, and instead be a people who have, by a miracle of grace, the fruit of the Spirit welling up from inside of them. What would it look? So, so just Sunday school, two Sunday school answers, right? Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what the sermon is. <laughs> Jesus, and if we would prize Him, if we would look to Him, we could proclaim His excellencies and maybe God would produce these things in us by His Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That would be strange in the day and age we live in. Jesus is all. (laughs) The call of citizens and sojourners is to prize Him together, press on towards Him in every aspect of life together, and make Him known as we speak His excellencies and the Spirit sanctifies us into His image. Let me pray. So Lord, we're going to right now hear a song of meditation a song that's calling us to want you more than we want anything else. And so I pray that as we, as we hear this song and get ready to come to the table and eat and drink with Jesus, that we'd be laying aside every other thing that we've prized, every good thing that's taken a first place over Jesus, every wicked thing we've hid in the darkness, and that we'd walk out of sin and shame and idolatry and prize Jesus again and find freedom and not looking behind at past shame or past sin or past achievements, instead just orienting our whole life on more of Jesus right now by the power of the Spirit. So work in us as we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.